Yes, people, it is episode 190 of Griff's Brain Dump, and it's me, Griff. Obviously, how are you doing? Hope you are all well. It is Saturday the what? What is it? Saturday the 19th of September. Um, there's sirens going on outside. Um, excuse me, I'm recording a podcast. Excuse me. Thank you. I mean, I don't even live in that type of area for there to be sirens. Um, no. Hopefully it's just a, a, a fire fireman trying to get a cat down from a tree. That's uh, that's the kind of area I live in. <laughs> but yeah, how's, how's everyone's week been? What has been going on? Um, what, what have I done with my week? Um, did I gig this week? Don't think I did. Did I leave my house at all? Not on Monday, not on Tuesday. No, Monday I went shopping. Tesco, if you're th- if you're asking. Um, no. Tuesday, nothing. Wednesday I cooked. Wednesday night I cooked. Um, first time I've cooked and I've actually been excited about cooking. For why I don't know. Um, maybe because I knew I was actually cooking something good and it was actually going to taste good. And uh, and I felt capable of doing it. I mean, that's what it was. I was excited to cook. Cooked, um, it was my breaded salmon. It was with a quick, like Parmesan and garlic salmon. All crispy on the top and stuff. Ah, oh, look, it tasted nice. A little bit of gnocchi, little pesto gnocchi on the side there. Hey. Some green beans, mm, balanced, balanced meal there, and I cooked that. Wife was impressed, and um, like like you do, made a full mess of the kitchen when I cook. <laughs> That's the sign of it, the inexperienced cook. Guy just mashes up the whole kitchen. Um, that's what I did. But yeah, so I did that. Then Thursday, um, so my workplace. We do, they do these re- really cool like webinars and stuff. And um, so I've sat on webinars with um, like submarine captains or former submarine captains uh, leading like psychologists and cosmologists and stuff like people discussing the concept of time. Um, uh, there's virologists talking about the coronavirus, historians and authors who wrote books about like the Spanish flu and talking about the similarities and stuff. So it's like it's really interesting to people to have. But on Thursday, we had none other than magician David Blaine. David Blaine. David motherfucking Blaine, y'all. David Blaine is who we had on uh, on the webinar. And I've got to speak to him directly. Got to speak to him directly, which is cool. Because you haven't seen David Blaine in um in like recent interviews. You might have been like me um, before. Because I saw him on Joe Rogan podcast. And obviously, spoke to him in the week. But if you're anything like me, uh, I had in my head the first word. If I say David Blaine, what's the first word that comes into your head like about his personality? Weird, right? He's, he's weird. And I always think of him as, you know, the guy kind of 
stares at you and goes, you, 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 want, you want to see a magic trick? You want to go magic trick? Take a card, take a card, go magic trick. Right? That That's his persona. Um, but then when I saw him in interviews, I was like, um, wait, he's really chilled out and mellowed out. And then I realised he's, he's never had that weirdo persona. He had it in one interview and it's stuck in our minds. That was an interview with Eamon Holmes back on GMTV days, right? And so that's why I asked him about. I asked him directly about that. I said, hey, that interview, what happened? And he burst out laughing. And he, he, he just told us exactly what happened. Apparently, the reason why he was acting so weird was because um, he, he was in the green room. And no one was paying attention to all the other people going on, you know, plugging their books or films or whatever. So he felt like he had to do something different to capture people's attention. And then, um, oh boy, did he. Did he capture people's attention? So that that is literally where it came from. So and then I was like, oh, it's so mad that that one interview has, has it stuck in my head that he was a weirdo. Weirdo that I enjoyed watching, but he was a weirdo. But yeah. And... Um, He's just such a cool guy, man. Um, he's just talking about magic and how, you know, with card tricks, it's just practice and how if you how if you learn how to do certain things with cards, like just shuffling, certain shuffling, looks magical to someone who doesn't know how to shuffle. And he was, and he was saying, like, on screen, like he had two decks of cards and he was just like, man, just flicking one card from one deck to the other. And he was just doing that, just but both at the same time, just flick them. It's like a arch from his right hand to his left hand, the card going that way, and then the card going back the other way. And he's just like, wow. But he goes, yeah, it's just practice. So it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not actually magical what I'm doing, but it looks magical because most people haven't bothered, you know, trading to flick cards between one hand to the other. So after he made then he made us all pick a card through the screen and we he pulled his card out and that was the card we all picked and it's just like I hate this guy. Because <laughs> my boss, he he made a good point. He goes, There's two types of people who watch magic. The people who watch it and just with their mouth open, with pure enjoyment and wonder, and just like that's brilliant. What a fantastic trick. And then there's other people who feel like they've been fucking violated. You know what I mean? Like you, you pull out, you pull out their like a card that they thought it's like, say, so is this your card, six of diamonds? They'll stare at the magician like, get the fuck out of my head. It's like, okay, that isn't what's happened. It's just a trick. It's like, I don't like it. Don't do it again. Like, because <laughs> sometimes you get like a couple of Rosebank come to a comedy gig, right? And they don't want to laugh. So I wonder what happens when Rosebank go to like magic gigs. You know what I mean? Go to a magic show and guy just picks out their cards. It's like, you feel I'm a dickhead? Well, you think I picked out six of diamonds? Dickhead. Five of spades. The magician just pulls the five of spades out of their mouth. He says I'm getting shagged on stage. I mean, I don't know. That took a dark turn. <laughs> but it's just, it's funny how people react to magic, man. I'm one of those people that obviously magic isn't real. So I know that. So I just come to terms with the fact of this person is really good at doing tricks. I can't work out how they do it. 
Um, I had a cousin who, who used to do magic and stuff, and he used to just do different tricks with us. And he used to annoy the shit out of me. Like, he used to do proper tricks as well, like cards appearing in your back pocket. Um, cards appearing on the other side of glass. All that kind of shit. He used to do that at, like, my auntie's house. and be so annoying. So annoying. And, uh, yeah. It's just, he's just, oh. It's just annoying me, man. He used to annoy me so much. I'm still I'm thinking about it now. Just the one where he made the, the card appear on the glass. On the other side of the glass. That, that used to infuriate me. But that same cousin taught me how to levitate like David Blaine did. And I told David Blaine that I used to levitate at school. And uh, he laughed. He laughed and said, oh, cool. Uh, whereas my boss was like, Darren, you've never mentioned you could levitate. <laughs> But um, yeah, it just never, never came up in the interview, you know. It never it was never a required skill being able to levitate. So never mentioned it. But yeah, I can levitate. Told my wife that I can levitate, and that obviously vexed her because she was like, "No, you can't. What are you talking about? Shut up." Um, so I will show her I can levitate. Still, I need to practice. We'll see. Anyway, uh, so that was Thursday. And then, yeah, we're here now, Saturday, Friday, didn't do anything. Gigging tonight down in Lewisham, um, hosting a, a dinner, doing that. So that should be fun. Um, should be nice. Imagine the dinner, it's like £50 a ticket. So imagine it's couples going. Imagine you're not going as a family, you're going as a couple. So I'll be hosting the event. So as the host... Um, Oh, we'll just be trying to mash up relationships. That's that's what you do as a host. You you mash up relationships, and you know for for the entertainment of everyone else. That's what you do. Because here's the trick. I'm gonna let go to let you into a little bit of um little secret of audience ship. This had to be a good audience member at a comedy gig, right? If you want the pressure off you. Or you want to be not laughed at, laughed with. Here's the rule. Number one, don't try to be funny. Don't try it. Just answer the questions normally. Yeah, don't don't try to be funny. Just answer the questions normally. Um, the tricks, if you are in a couple, here's the tricks. Um, be in love. Uh, know how long you've been together for. Um... Be married, be heading towards marriage. You got to be committed. You got to be in love, be committed. Know how long you've been with each other for. That's it. Know how you met. No stuttering. The moment you stutter, the moment you waver, the moment your story starts sounding inconsistent, you now become the center of attention. You now become a target for the host, and they're gonna keep going at you. I'll give you two examples, right? If I'm the host and I'm speaking to a couple, I'm like, hey, how you doing? What's your name? So, yeah, my name's Tom. Oh, yeah, my name's Sarah. All right, Tom, Sarah. Cool, nice to meet you. So, you two from around here? Even if you're not, yeah, just have a simple answer. Don't be going, well, I was born in, in, uh, in Barnsley and then my dad got a job in Singapore. No, no, no. Just pick a place. 
and just say that's where you're from. That's what you do. Does it how long you've been together for? Pick a date. Pick a time period. And if the, if the if your partner says the wrong time period, do not pull them up in front of the crowds. If he says, yeah, it's been like four years, don't don't jump in. Go, it's been six. Don't don't do that. Because the moment there's a discrepancy between you two as a couple, oh, we're coming in with the divide and conquer. Oh, we're coming in. We're now going to make him a dickhead for not knowing how long you've been together for. We're going to try and set you up for a different person in the crowd. You're going to be slightly, you're going to find it funny, but you're going to be slightly pissed off that you got it wrong. So you're going to take the joke too far. And then you're going to be arguing in the car on the way home. Uh, going to ask, are you married? So yes. I remember I was on a date with a girl once, right? And we end up at a comedy show and we end up in the front row. This was our second date. Second date. And the comedian goes, oh, how long have you two been together for? And we'd met on Tinder as well. So you go, how long have you two been together for? And I just, I took control. I went, six months. And he goes, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And you're in love? I'm like, yeah, of course we are. I could see her looking at me like, what is wrong with this guy? But I wasn't even a comedian at this stage. I just knew I don't want the heat on us. And I just answered all those questions. You, like, Yep. So six months. So what, you're going to be moving in? With, you, you live with each other yet? No, nah, not yet. But that's definitely on the cards though. Yeah. Boring answers. Now imagine if I start telling him the truth. He said, how do you meet? I said, he says, through, through a mutual friend. The mutual friend was Tinder. Now, let's see if I answer those questions honestly now. Okay, so how long have you two been together for? It's our second date. Oh, crowd are now excited. How's the date going, guys? Actually, let's ask her. Oh, these are free tickets. And, da, 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 and you start ripping into them and you start getting pulled apart. All right, so... Second date, how's it going? Is it going to be a third date? And then, you know, you're under pressure. You say something like, well, we'll see how tonight goes, isn't it? Where are you going after? You see, and it's all that. Now, it's a full-on conversation. Just cut the chat. Just cut it. So you have to do, people. But I'm still going to be a prick tonight. And I will find that weak link in the crowd. Because you'll never get a full crowd of people who are like that. There'll, there'll be someone... It'll just unravel. It'll be someone's like first or second date in a crowd. There'll be a madness. There'll be will be two friends out. Clearly one of them likes the other one. The other one's put the other one in the friend zone. That shit is always there. Um, it might be two girls out. They're not lesbians. Just neither of them have a man. And they've come to something nice. I'm going to take the mick out of them for not having a man. That's what I'm going to do. Then I'm going to pick a guy who's in a relationship. Be like, would you date one of these lot? Ah, <laughs> oh dear. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch them. So I'm looking forward to tonight, man. But um, yeah, what what has been going on in the week, though? I've been talking about my week. Well, I think I actually made some notes um, for once. Two things jumped out at me this week. The first one being... Um, I'll start on the more serious one. I haven't really read the article, but I've seen that apparently the files on Grenfell, 
um, are all lost. They've lost the files. They've lost the files. Um, yeah, that's it. All the files lost. What do you mean, Darren? Yeah, apparently they're all just on one laptop. And the, that laptop, gone. Lost forever. Now, can someone please explain? Yeah, the important files on Grenfell uh, cladding design have reportedly been lost forever. I'll tell you now, people, I've worked in three different companies and one thing that doesn't happen is the files get lost forever. Okay? Uh, anything that's on paper has been printed. Therefore, if it's been printed, it's uh, it's there. There's, there's a soft copy of it somewhere. You can retrieve a file. Okay? No files lost forever. So I'm, I'm not sure how these files are lost. But let's read. This is on from Complex. Uh, from Complex. Sorry, I just said it in a weird way. Um, Imports. I said as a as a what is it? A verb instead of a noun. No, adjective instead of a noun. Wait, what am I talking about? Yeah. So that, for example, if you say object and object. Object and object. You put like that break. You're actually verb. You're doing a verb. You're doing something. I object to that point you made where if you're talking about an object, a noun, then you just say it in one go. Um, what other examples of that is it? Uh, uh, I can't think now. Object, uh, subject as well. What's the subject of conversation? You subjected me. Don't subject me. Yeah, see? Uh, anyway, complex. <laughs> uh, important files on Grenfell Tower cladding design have reportedly been lost forever. Important design details, documents and emails relating to Grenfell Tower refurbishment have suspiciously been lost forever after being wiped from a laptop belonging to the design manager working on Grenfell's cladding. An inquiry into Grenfell disaster has been ongoing since August 2017, with the main aim being to find justice for the 72 lives claimed by the fire. Numbers still ridiculously low. Phase two of the inquiry is examining the causes of these events, including how Grenfell came to be in, in a condition that allowed the fire to spread. Uh, design manager Daniel uh, Ancatel-Jones of Harley Facades. Ancatel, that is... a uh, Interesting name. Is he black? The reason I ask is he black because I think he'll end up becoming a scapegoat if he is not black. So he, he might be all right. Um, of Harley Facades, the cladding company that worked for Grenfell until March, uh, worked on Grenfell un, until March 2016, told the hearing that he deleted all the files off his work computer after agreeing to keep the device despite leaving the firm. Right. Cool. Cool. That can happen. You can leave the firm with a laptop, but you're not deleting all the work files. You're copying them onto a bloody server that your work owns, that Harley owns, so they can access the files. Imagine me working on a project and then leaving, like, can I keep the laptop? Uh, can I just delete all the work I've ever done for you? 
No, because the work I do for you belongs to the company, not me. It's just unbelievable shit I'm reading here. Um, despite leaving the firm, while it's normal protocol to back up files rather than rather than being kept solely on one computer, the electrical and mechanical engineering graduate told the Inquirer on Monday that he made the assumption his work would remain on the Harley Facade's server. This vitally important, these vitally important documents, details and emails were not backed up by anyone, showing complete disregard to good working practice and extreme incompetence. Agatel Jones also denied a claim that he arranged for his email file to be deleted from the firm's internal system, saying, I believed everything would be kept on the company server because all the laptops just attached into the server um, and all the emails were retained on there. So here it goes. So this Ankatel Jones guy, I probably don't. If you believe his story, then you don't blame him. But either way, when it comes to a company, I'm not blaming the individual employees anyway, because that just isn't how you run a company. You're blaming the company, because if he's an individual employee and they're doing some rogue shit, then you should have had protocols in place where they can't do rogue shit. And there shouldn't be any way that someone can just delete a file. And only like your IT guy should be able to delete a file. And it should... Because in any file that I had deleted in previous workplaces, I might not be able to see it anymore, but it's there. Oh, you better believe it's there. So when you've opened that not safe for work meme <laughs> in an email, believe me, you've deleted it quickly. Believe it, it's there on the server somewhere. I remember two girls got uh, sacked from one old workplace for bullying because they were chatting shit about some other girl. And, uh, yeah, they deleted their emails. But they were found. I'll tell you. Oh, dear. But um, what else they said here? So... So Ray Bailey's Harley Facade's manager director said that every other employee who worked on the project was able to pass on emails in the days following uh, the June 2017 fire uh, in West London, other than Ankatel Jones. As for Daniel Ankatel Jones, he said he left Harley some months before the fire. By that stage, he had both deleted all his Harley related emails from his laptop and had arranged with our service provider to remove his emails from our system. Why would that happen? See, now I'm looking at the company. How are you allowing him to remove his emails from the... They're your emails. They're the company's emails sent by him and to him. Asked about this uh, by inquiry uh, lawyer Kate Grange, QC. Ankatel Jones said, I don't know what he means by that. I didn't arrange for that to happen. I don't think I would have the authority or the security to do that. I believe you, Daniel. In the past where I'd had a laptop break or replaced, it was just a simple case of connecting it back up to the server and you had all your emails instantly once again. The material that was deleted would have related to all Harley projects I had worked on during my time at the company, including the Grenfell, Grenfell Tower refurbishment project. He added, 
I would have kept offline files on the laptop for easy access. I doubt there would have been any files related to Grenfell as these would have been on our server. I'm believing this Daniel guy, you know. They're trying to make this Daniel guy a scapegoat because he's left the company. So it doesn't come back to us as, as Harley facades. It's not our issue. It's the rogue ex-employee who's no longer with us now. So there's not really much we could do about it. Now, fuck off. I'm back in Daniel. Daniel didn't delete the emails, right? He cleared his laptop after he left. I'm back in this guy. Um, following the disaster, government figures from August have shown that Grenfell-style cladding had not been removed from over 80% of private sector buildings and nearly 50% of social uh, sector buildings. Jeez. So, uh, report, so yeah, jeez. So the whole idea that it's just poor people suffering for this, if it's on 80% of private buildings, then it's not great, is it? The report finds that one in three of all high-rise buildings with ACM cladding, the, type, the same type as Grenfell, have had it removed, uh, despite the government deadline being June of this year. The progress into removing the dangerous cladding from other buildings has been unacceptably slow in over three years after Grenfell. The Grenfell Tower inquiry examining the circumstances into the fire continues, Justice still needed for those who lost their lives three years ago. Now, with the removal of the cladding, I will say this, running the risk of sounding like I'm, you know, defending the man. But um, with the removal of the cladding, I'll say this, that the cladding itself, from my experience, because I have worked at a property development company before, um, one, the cladding itself isn't necessarily dangerous, um it's about insulation it's about the access of fire reaching the cladding and stuff so to basically say removal cladding because this is dangerous is like that's isn't actually the fix i mean that would fix the problem but that isn't actually necessarily has to be the solution so it's yeah and um and also asking trying to put um companies on the hook retrospectively for cladding they've put on when it was legal and now they're making it illegal is kind of mad as well it's got to be a collaborative thing but shouldn't let that all distract us from the grenfell tower the fact that that still has not been resolved it's flipping insane how that's not been resolved yet man but um but maybe it's to do with the area in the Notting Hill area, Notting Hill area, Notting Hill Carnival. Who remembers White Chocolate? See, what a segue. White Chocolate, um, he was a white guy who was whining on top of a bus stop. Um, he appeared on some chat show um, or some talk internet show where it's like panel show. There's six people there. He's one of the six. And they're talking about race, cultural appropriation, white privilege, all that good stuff. Uh, so it's this one white guy. Five black people and they're talking about race and talking about does he understand that he's in a position of privilege and he wouldn't have exploded into popularity if he wasn't white. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I understand that. And, so, and they were just, they weren't going at him. They were just asking questions. Yeah. But here's my thing. It's, it's the internet's reaction to this guy's answers, right? He said some messed up things. Not racist, exactly. But yeah, he says the things like, oh, that I feel like using my platform. Because like, how are you going to use your platform to, to 
address back issues. He goes, I feel like my platform has kind of like paved the way for other people. And they all started screw facing. And he even said to himself, because do it is, yeah? He goes, I obviously don't know that much about this kind of stuff. And each time I say something, you look all looking at each other. And that is what was happening. And here's, the, here's my thing. You can't be inviting a guy like that and expect him to be so like au fait and smart about race theory and these things. Like, what, because he whines, he's meant to know about it. There's black people who don't know about this stuff. Like, he spoke at the level I would expect of someone who gets on a bus stop and whines. He was, he was just saying just stuff that most people, right, don't actually think about race to that level. To have that deep intellectual conversation. I'm talking about most people as well. I'm talking black people as well. Black people's usual experience of race is racism. Uh, that's it. It's, and it's personal incidents of racism. Hence why you get these people go on the news and be like, well, I saw that advert and I wasn't offended. Well, I've never had any race racism come my way. And so they're like, because they're thinking, oh, everyone, no one's called me the N-word, so I haven't had any racism come my way. But you live in a racist society. And racist doesn't mean it's like a malicious or... Uh, what's the word? Mal maleficent? Is that a word? Uh, we'll go for it. So, um, act, either. It could just be, it's just one of those things, it is what it is kind of thing. It's neither good or bad, it just is racist. There's decisions made just based on race, like these racial decisions, racial actions that happen in this world. But there's some people going, well, no, not me. I haven't dealt with any racism. So if there's black people who think like that, then why on earth would there not be a white person he probably started whining because he had some mates who could whine. He was mates with them. He started doing it with them. They all found it funny. He found it funny. They enjoyed it. He goes carnival. He whines. And then someone films him whining. And then they have a meltdown. He's filming him because they go, oh my God, is the white guy doing something that black people usually do? Oh my God. And then it's black people who gassed him up, hype him up. Push him to the front. Go, look at this guy. This guy's amazing. Look. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Yeah? And then when he's there at the front, black people go, well, what's he doing here? <laughs> we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We invite people to the cookout all the time. I've said this, right? I'll say it on stage as well. Any black person who invites white people to the cookout, yeah, is the type of black person that also tries to remove people's black cards. Um, and they don't understand that race is something of permanence, especially in this society we live in. It's not something that can be just removed and rewarded. And it's not that transitional. And not transactional either. You can't just be like, ah, well, you've done this, so you're not black anymore. Oh, this white guy's done that. He's black now. He's blacker than you. No, that's how it works. All right? But there's too many people who do that. And um, 
And this and this is the result of that. Rather than just acknowledging the guy's dancing, okay, he's dancing, he's at carnival, and he's dancing like people dance at carnival, okay, move the camera on. You've put him there, you put him in the, in the spotlight, you raised him to the top, and then now you're asking him these questions that he is not qualified to answer. So I want to have conversations about race on TV. I've said this in my special, conversations about race on TV, and they get a bloody grime rapper to discuss race. A racist event happens, and it's like, oh, we've got Big Nasty. We've got Dizzy Rascal on the show. We've got all these like bloody university professors who have studied sociology and race. And you could argue whether, you know, what they've learned is racist in itself because it's from a Eurocentric perspective. Cool. But guess what? If you had the fucking black uh, professor, he'd probably be able to bring that point up as well. But if you bring up a bloody grime rapper, I'm not saying grime rappers don't know these things, but I mean, it's not their job to know these things. See what I'm saying? So why a guy who dances on bus stops, I don't know why people are expecting him to know so much about race, especially as a white guy, and race doesn't even affect him that badly. I didn't even feel, I didn't feel bad for him. I just thought it was just stupid to expect much more of him. That's all. Anyway, that got ranty. <laughs> let's, um, let's get on some Dear Dear Jerry. 33 minutes in. Um... Let's get some Deirdre. And uh, let's go. Okay. Uh, Dear Deirdre, I had wonderful sex with my son's friend. And now my boy won't speak to me. So uh, see, I like how you dropped wonderful in. Like your son should maybe let you off because the sex was actually good. Like Thomas. I know you're upset to have sex with Martin, okay? I know he's your best friend, but the sex was wonderful. Why are you upset? He did things to me that your father never did, Thomas, okay? He's a very considerate lover. <laughs> it's like, Mum, stop talking. Dear Deirdre, I had a night of wonderful morale-boosting passionate sex. With my son's friend, and now my son won't talk to me. I'm 43. I got divorced 10 years ago after my husband left for another woman. Okay, so that's 33 years divorced. Um, how old's your son's friend? He went on to marry her and start a new family. My son, who is 20. Um, so, he, so the divorce happened when your son was 10. Um, sees his dad and says they are very happy. When my son moved out to start university two years ago, I thought about finding another relationship. Friends say I'm still an attractive woman, but my husband said some cruel things when he left that I'm fat and ugly and that no man would want me and I'm just a lump in bed. Wow. Although, I just don't know why people say shit like that to, the, to someone they're breaking up with. Just, just leave, innit? Um, because even all my exes, even when we've broken up through circumstances that um, may have allowed me to dislike my ex, I've always just managed to like remember there were good times as well. Like there was a time I actually, you know, not only loved hers but you know, kind of liked them. <laughs> 
know what I mean? So to go from that to now, I'll go to stir. And I've got my cauldron. And I'm brewing up the nastiest thing I could possibly say. And I'm just dashing ingredients in there. This will fuck up her morale. This will fuck up her self-esteem. This will stop her from moving on with anyone else. Little dash of this to make her reconsider the whole relationship and everything she felt in it. And to stir that up in the pot. Leave that to simmer for a couple of days and then pow in her face. I don't know how you, uh, I don't know how you do that. It's just a bit nasty, isn't it? Anyway, um, call me a lump in bed. My son invited a uni friend his age over to stay for a few days after Christmas. Um, at the last minute, my son's dad invited him to a party and he was keen to go. His dad said it wasn't suitable for his friend to go, but his but this lad said he didn't mind staying at our place with me. Oh, my God. <sighs> I, so I'm trying to think, right, now, as this boy, did it cross his mind as soon as he maybe saw a picture of his mate's mum? Uh, did it cross his mind once he got to there? Did it cross his mind when the friend said he's not going to be there? And then you go, well, I'll, I'll hang out here. Yeah, or, or did it just not cross his mind? It just one thing led to another. I don't believe that. I know when I was single, I used to manufacture accidents all the time. Manufacture coincidences. Oh, it's just... It's just us two now. Yeah. Shall we get another drink? Yeah, right then. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. We're going to blame it on the alcohol. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just have that situation up in the air where no one's talking about it, but it's just there. Everyone could, you could, you could touch it. That's, that's what this was. That's how I feel. I don't reckon it's coming across our mind, but the son's friends, he was like, yeah. I'll, I'll be here with your mum. It's fine. You staying over at this party? Yeah. Sweet. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway. Uh, his dad said it wasn't suitable for his friend to go. But this lad said he didn't mind staying at our place with me. Once my son had left, his friend and I settled down with some beers and wine. Ha. <sighs> I had no thoughts of anything sexual. He told me about his problems keeping relationships and I tried to give him some helpful life guidance. Okay, be fair, doesn't sound too... Th from your side anyway, but from him. He's uh, on those sides, he's probably slipping into conversations and stuff. Yeah, you know, all my relationships keep on breaking down because I'm too big in bed and I, I last for too long. I'd hand out too many orgasms and that's why my ex left me. <laughs> why, why, why won't girls stay with me? <laughs> oh, all these girls my age are so stupid. Wish there was a slightly older woman to give me some guidance. <laughs> Crying, having his hand covered his eyes. He's just looking between his fingers at her. Just like, well, mm? Mm? you... This guy's a trash can. <laughs> Gives a helpful life guidance. This led to him asking about my marriage. And I was honest about how demoralised my husband had left me feeling. And how I'd lost all my body confidence. 
He said he was surprised as he found me a very attractive woman. He is a fit, intelligent and good looking young man. So it was great to hear. I thought he was just trying to boost my confidence, but he leaned over and kissed me. Very quickly, we were all over one another. Then in my bed, having passionate sex, it made me feel great. We both felt a bit awkward in the morning and agreed never to tell my son, as it would hurt him. My son arrived back at lunchtime and life rolled on. My social life still hasn't gone anywhere. It's hard with all the, all the virus restrictions and it's been good having my son home from university. But then he met this same friend and a couple of others in our nearest city and they all got very drunk. The friend blurted out to my son about our night of sex and he is furious. Now nah, that guy's an arsehole. Now did he blurt it out or did they play a game of I have never? Because it takes a very strong person, um, a mature person. I mean, a guy who's 20, who's had sex with their friend's mum, is likely to tell someone. Especially that friend's mum is a talking point anyway. Um, then, yeah, you're going to tell someone and uh, they're going to tell someone because that's way too juicy gossip for them to keep in. I'm telling you now, anyone told me that they slept with one of our other friend's mums, I'm telling the other friends in the group, but not that friend. I'm not telling that friend I've told other people and I'm not telling the friend whose mum it is. But I am telling other people. Facts. And then when we play a game of I have never, someone's going to get drunk and think it's way too much banter to miss out on and go, I have never had sex with someone's mum. And then you're too drunk to be like, uh, and everyone's going to look at the guy. He's going to be like, pressure... But it's too much banter. I'm going to have to stand up and drink. And then everyone's like, what? Well, whose mum's that then? And then someone's going to go, oh. Because it's probably the guy who asks whose mum is that then. Is whose mum it is. Fuck. <laughs> Shitty, you know. Um, so he stormed back into the house. And the next day called me all sorts of names. And now won't talk to me. He takes his food to his room. I love that. Mum, you fucking bitch. And I'm just going to take my dinner. <laughs> you hate your mum but you don't hate her enough to make your own food still gonna cook ah you you bastard um he saw him uh, yeah so Corbett also his major talked to me he takes his food to his room and slams the door in my face if I try to talk to him I'm so guilty and it's breaking my heart yeah do what I feel bad for you I mean it wasn't best advised to sleep with your son's friend but you made that mistake. And then you did the right for you after that, just keeping that shit to yourself. But that other guy, ooh, what a dickhead. He's ruined the family. And let's be honest, in five years' time, when he's no longer friends with your son, that is just a funny story to tell for him. That is a really funny story to tell. You and your son are probably still ruined. But he is there in pubs, on podcasts, talking about, yeah, there was one time I had sex with my mate's mum. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh my God, that's so crazy. Tell us the story. Trust me, it's, it's not it's not good. Um, so yeah, I don't know what you could do. Maybe talk to your son. 
Maybe try to turn your son on his thread. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. Come on. Let's go, dear Deirdre. Let's go. I was about to end the pod, but this one's too nuts from the... From, all right. Risky reveal. Workmate does not know the girl he has been messaging is me in drag. Come on. Dear Deirdre, as I sometimes meet people romantically when dressed in drag, I have drag. I have a drag profile on gay dating app, Grindr. Um, I am a man of 29 and work in a warehouse where the job is dull, but we have a lot of banter. Uh, one of the biggest jokers has a girlfriend, so I assumed he was straight. Oh my God. But I was shocked when I started getting messages from him on Grinder. I don't think he realises it's me as I look totally different in drag. I blocked him, but he's been persistent, creating new prof- profiles to message me from. Should I tell him I'm the drag queen he's been messaging? I don't want this to come back to bite me. Listen, if you're not a drag queen in secret, yeah, that you're openly gay or you openly do drag, then... Nothing's coming back to bite you, bruv. Nothing's coming back to bite you. It's magical sort of a, a drag, bruv, but that's what I'm calling you. So, um, yeah, nothing's coming back to bite you, bruv. It's him. He's in a relationship and he's trying to get gay side men. Like he's some kind of Tory MP. Like, come on. What are you doing? This isn't your issue. This is all his issue. It could get mad for him. Um, so, I'll say, yeah, if you're not, um, in the closet, then I think you just tell him, but then he might do, you might get so embarrassed, he turns the whole warehouse against you, even if you tell him, like, as, as a guy as well, like, if you just go, look, mate, listen, I ain't telling anyone shit, okay, but that's me you're messaging. Do you know what? You could just not message him back and just disappear. How about that? Just don't message him back. There you go. Don't message him back. You'll get bored. And that's it. And move on. That's my suggestion. Anyway, one more and... Let's see. Uh, one more, one more, one more, one more. Um. Alright, one more. Unrequited love. Um, unrequited love. I'm in love with my best friend, but I know she'll never feel the same way. Then you, sir, are a dickhead. And that's the end of, um... <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. How can you love someone that you know will never love you back? What's to stop? I know you can't decide what your heart does, but or what your heart wants, but you can in some respects, okay? So you just don't. It's got, you won't be able to move on if you're still feeling her. Um, if you know, that means you've shot your shot and she said no. 
If that's the case, leave it, bro. If you haven't shot your shot, then just shoot your shot and put yourself out of your misery because she might like you back. If you're saying you know she'll never feel the same for you and that's just based on you being a pussy, then, yeah, then you just need to man up. Let's see, anyway. Um... I'm in love with my best friend, but she says she would struggle to love again after her ex let her down badly. We are super close, see one another um, at least once a week and talk every day. I really value her as a person. I'm a guy of 25, she's 26. I tried to distance myself by spending a few weeks apart, but each time I see her, all the romantic feelings start flooding back. I think about her every day. I don't want to lose her as a friend, but these feelings of unrequited love are torturing me to the point where I can't move on. Nobody else remotely appeals to me. Okay, here's what you do, mate. You you tell her, but you don't tell her in a way that means she needs to feel the same back. Um, just let her know. And let her know it's not her fault. You, that's how you got to say it. you got to just break to her like that, look. I even really want to feel these ways about you because it's not helpful. But it's how I feel. Think I love you. I still feel the same about you even after I have, a, you know, some alone time. Still feel the same about you. Because that's a test. If it's just horniness or he actually loves you. If he has, a, you know, a little Tommy and he still feels the same about you, then, oh, he loves you. That's how he knows. Um, so, he, um, yeah, that's what you say to him, man. Just say, look, this is what I'm feeling. I, I like you. So, if you think this could go anywhere, have a think about it. Because I value our friendship. Generally do value our friendship. I don't want to lose that. But if there's a chance we could have something more, then maybe it's worth pursuing. But it depends when she's broken up, though, man. Because if you're feeling all of this and she broke up with a fella, like, last week, and she's still living with him, then just relax, isn't it? But that might be her doing that stupid, oh, I gave you signs. I was giving you signs, you know, when I was saying that there's no guy like you. Oh. So, yeah, maybe you've put her on such a pedestal that you don't think she's obtainable. For you, but and she's been a woman, so she's not shooting her shot. She's like, shoot your shot. The goal's open. Shoot your shot. That's what I say, my friend. That's what I say. Okay. I think that's the end of uh pod. Um and yeah, that's it. Cool. Um, I've got anything to promote? No, not this week. No. All right, I'm out of here. Peace.